0: Welcome to Ecobolic Radio, a listening experience dedicated to making the world stronger, one conversation at a time, because strength is never a weakness. Welcome to Ecobolic Radio with your host, Derek Woodsky. In today's episode, I sit down with former powerlifter, Brandon Lilly. Brandon and I get deep about what it takes to make the transition from power athlete to human being. We talk about the trials and tribulations of self and what it took for him to go from being a 300-plus-pound superstar under the barbell to somebody that was willing to run a marathon, even if it meant crawling on his hands and knees. Hey, man, how you doing? Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Man, I'm doing, uh, doing really well. I, uh, I just got in last night from uh, Tampa. I spent some time down in Tampa and Miami with some really great people and got all my work done early I've been I've been kind of on a repositioning of, of disciplines and one of those things is to get up around four thirty in the morning and structure my day so that by nine or ten o'clock I've gotten the brunt of as much work accomplished as possible but but last night I, I get all that stuff done at the airport on the plane which which felt really good for me because I've I've tended to be a procrastinator in the past so I got into bed about nine and got up about seven this morning. My body needed it. I kind of burned the candle at both ends while I was in Florida. Uh, right. just being around excited people talking about good stuff, motivating stuff and it 's a it 's a one eighty from from where I saw myself even a few years ago so today 's been awesome
0: see that 's a good question there's a couple things I wanted to to bring up because one of which is obviously the Reintroduction of a, of a lifestyle change for you, you know, since the injuries and since some of the stuff that we'll get into in our conversation today. But you've been dealing with injuries, dealing with manipulation of body weight, trying to let go of some demons, trying to figure out who you're going to become as an athlete and as a person. But the most recent transition before we get into, to a little bit of your history is the getting up and running, getting up and moving and doing something that from a power athlete standpoint, almost as blasphemy how did you switch the gears in your mind to sort of make that change
1: so step back just one second when i was a kid uh i always like to run I, I used to cycle obsessively like i'm not even talking about a, a road bike or a mountain bike i would just get on my little uh bmx bike right and I, I lived on a loop and it was just about three quarters of a mile and i can remember when i was a kid seeing if i could do it like a hundred times in a day, Absolutely, you know, just yeah. just, seeing it, just seeing if I could just push myself. So that that is intrinsically within me that that willingness and desire to push. But I I have a, you know, an endurance type background, so it's not unfamiliar ground for me. Yep. But I woke up one morning and you know somebody had asked me to to post a photo like of of how my training was going and stuff and like. I I just hadn't been posting very much of my training because what I wasn't proud of it. Yep. But I don't think I was proud of it because I wasn't enjoying it. Oh um, man, I
0: absolutely. Was,
1: I was I was training for a lot of the wrong reasons and I was trying to hold on to something that I didn't feel anymore and a lot of that was most of my training was driven by anger and anger uh at the world, anger at myself, anger at insecurities and You know, when you go in there and it's like every rep is going to show this guy or it's going to make this insecurity go away or this, that, and the other, when you've, when you've kind of sat down and had the time from an injury or, uh, from a spiritual change or a life change or whatever it is, and to look at those things, why am I mad at this guy? What am I mad at about? What am I mad at myself about? What am I guilty about? What am I insecure about? Um, and all of these things I started to deal with internally, I wasn't mad anymore. Right. So my training took on a different dynamic, and it was like um, I started walking every day just because I was like, man, I'm so out of shape. Yep. Uh, I didn't have a rower. I didn't have a bike. I didn't have anything. So I got my legs. And this is something that I've been afraid of because walking was embarrassingly hard after my injury. I remember being down in Sydney, Australia. For the two thousand fourteen eight two thousand fourteen GPA Worlds, yep, where I did I totaled nearly two thousand pounds ten months after my injury, but I couldn't walk a quarter of a block because oh. I was so out of shape. I was so uh, bad that I just it was one of those things where I failed. So yep. I just did less of it instead of trying more. I did less and less.
0: Yeah, you just push the difficulty out of the, out of your way and just focus on your your easy strengths, right?
1: Yeah, it was absolutely so. I decided that I was going to try to walk and I started doing my 10 minute walks and I, I started doing that every single day and then it became like, oh, I'll do one in the morning and one at night because I started feeling better. I started breathing. I was outside. Um, I saw sunrises. I saw sunsets. You know, I, I purposely set my walks around those times and I was like, man, I have missed so much in my life being angry, you know, and it was it was a literal facing of, uh, of, you know, a hypothetical of, of how we lock our way in the dungeon and we just work and work and work, you know, yeah. but now I was free. I was literally free. And that, then one day I was walking up on my old campus, which is one of my favorite places. Uh, I was, at, you know, I went to school there and I also took it for granted and I was walking around and I was like, man, this place is amazing. Right. Well, I'd walked about two miles <laughs> and that I, I was two miles from my truck. And I thought, well, what if I just tried to jog? Because I had verbalized a hundred times over, I'll never run again. You know, my legs too messed up, I'll never run it again. And I was like, just changing what what, making that pattern, right? Yeah, just what if? What if I tried? Like, I don't have to be fast. I don't have to I don't have to do anything outside of my comfort zone that breaks me down. I want everything I do to build me up. So I was like, if I jog ten feet that's further than I've jogged in five years. Right. So I started out and it felt good. I kind of found a little limpy rhythm, you know, like step, step. (laughs) I just kept going and uh, I finished the two miles and I was pretty confident that I could have kept going. So the next morning, it wasn't a quest, like a selfish quest for more. It was just a quest to like undo some of the bad. So I went three miles. And the next day I did five miles and then the seven miles, 10 miles. And I set out on the, on the t- last day there, uh, last Thursday, not last Thursday, but the previous Thursday to do a half marathon. Right. And this, this is where, this is where my old mentality comes in. He says, who starts anything with half in the title? <laughs> right. Yeah, so, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I, uh, I gave myself 24 hours to do a marathon and literally convinced myself that if I couldn't run it, I could walk it. And if I couldn't walk it, I'd crawl it. And I finished it in five hours and 41 minutes.
0: Man, that's incredible. See, it's incredible for a lot of reasons because you hit on a couple things that are really important. And as a, as a former athlete myself, there's something that I struggle with to this day. And it happened to me last week in the gym. And it happened to me in such a dramatic way that I actually quit my workout went home and was like, you know what? I can't train like this anymore. And what I found is I went into the gym and, you know, as well as having had some pretty horrific shit happen with injuries, I decided a couple months ago that I was going to start incorporating some Olympic lifts, power lifts, stuff like this, not the full Olympic cleans anymore. So everything's going good. I'm feeling better. Some things are going all right in my direction. And I'm doing cleans last week. And I'm not doing heavy cleans. Like, you know, when I think back to what my, my best clean was, is, you know, like 396 in the power clean, I'm using like 225, 250, right? Like nothing crazy. And, uh, and a guy started working out beside me that was just doing deadlifts and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't control my anxiety. Right. And I realized is because I felt embarrassed by what I was actually lifting. And in return, I decided to back way, way off. And what I should have done is done what I felt most desire to do, and that was to do, like, circuits, movement, breathing hard. Because that's the thing that doesn't drive my ghosts of competitive past anymore, but it makes me feel good in the weight room. Sure. But I keep going back to this world that – uh, my ego was attached to, right? Sure. And, and it starts to steal your soul a little bit. And so when you were making that transition, when you made that realization, next thing you know, you've run a five-hour marathon. I know as somebody that's had breathing issues related to being a power athlete, how much did that change? Or how much has that so, changed?
1: So here's, here's the thing. It, it's, been a, it's been a progression. And one of the things that I realized very, very early on When I started kind of like chipping away at the armor, you know, I was, my ego was an equal and opposite reflection of my insecurity. Okay. So the bigger and more insecure that I became, um, the, the ego had to grow to match that. Right. Mm -hmm. So for me, I, I realized when I was coming up, what was I doing? I was watching all these great lifters videos. I was getting as much information as I could. Um, I, I was absorbing as much as I possibly could. And then it came on to now I'm giving information. People should watch my videos. Right. I'm not watching other people's videos because I'm the man, right? Yep. Well when when I realized that I needed to change, I started watching a lot of your stuff because I appreciated what you'd accomplished. I appreciated what you were, but I was like, man, he's he's just stretching, you know, he's just doing kettlebell <laughs> stuff. Like and it wasn't right. it wasn't a knock on you. I know exactly. what like, yeah. I, want, I wanted to learn from you Um, and other people, I wanted to look at other people that were doing some, some different kind of stuff, but I wouldn't let myself do those things. So I met Dr. Belissa Vranich. Yep. She's a breathing specialist. Uh, I've worked with Ingrid extensively on my breathing, on some of my movement stuff. So I feel like I I came to the realization. I don't remember who said it. Maybe it was Dr. Belissa, but you can go for food without food without food for 40 days, you can go without water for a matter of days and weeks, but you can't go without air for more than a few minutes. And I was very, very, uh, stuck in my ways of fight or flight breathing.
0: Yes. I was always
1: tight. I was always, uh, my anxiety level at, when I went to bed was out of control. And, you know, she made the, the connection to me that you've been in fight or flight since you got out of bed this morning. Yep. And, now you're asking yourself to go to sleep. Your body is in defense mode.
0: One hundred percent.
1: I got a CPAP. I, I worked. I worked on my my focused, intentional breathing. I started doing some meditation, and I want to stop right there for yep. people that are listening. Luckily, it's your podcast, so people are more open to this this way of
0: Thank chatter.
1: You. Yep. But but there's somebody that is listening to this that is hearing meditation and they hear it as feminine or kind of hippie or whatever it could be just sitting down for 10 minutes and being thankful or just shutting off your phone or anything like that that's where i had to start it was just 10 minutes of still i even i didn't get up and i'll
0: even take it a step further because i know where you're going in some aspect of this when i think of meditation because i had stereotypes broken early the summarize meditated before they went to battle yeah Right. Exactly. People have to keep yeah. some of the older ideas in check. We have lost a little bit of it, right? Because the only place we meditate yep. now is yoga. Yeah. You know?
1: Yep. Well, and, and think about this. I asked somebody this question, and I'm gonna ask you right now before I continue. What is the highest point of human achievement you've ever seen? What is the greatest single feat a human being has ever done in your life that you or not in your life, but just you've ever witnessed throughout all of history?
0: Whew. That's a that's a powerful question. I would say the thing that I recognize and in my life is like the highest level of achievement.
1: Not your life, not your life, just All, ever that you've ever heard or seen a human being do, ever.
0: I oh, this is such think, a tough question because it pulls me. To a, it and
1: I'll give you I'll give you my answer. Yeah, think think about the monk that sat down doused himself or was doused in gasoline and set but was set on fire never cried out never moved and sat there and crumbled in his own ash standing for a cause right right think think about the strength of the mind and the depth of that meditation there is nothing feminine or weak or about it you know that to me I, i can't think of anything that a human being has done
0: that could equal it. Know. Well, no, here, I,
1: I can't,
0: here's what's crazy. Cause this is a story I was going to tell. And I, I wasn't sure if I should tell it cause it make people, people think I might be full of shit. So when I was a kid, we used to be f- like, uh, we used to be like obsessed about these stories of these monks that would go up into the high mountains in the winter and what they used to do is they would go up on the coldest day typically or the coldest couple of days of the winter every year and they would sit in just their robes in the snow at like 18,000 feet and they would yep. meditate they would meditate throughout the evening and then the uh, apparently the documented story that we read because the internet didn't exist when we used to read this as teenagers is they would get up in the morning and brush the snow off and walk back to the monastery yeah. And I was just well, like, how are they doing that, right?
1: You know, and and I I started reading about I know you you've heard of Wim Hof. I mm-hmm. started reading a lot of his stuff. And the mind it, it was the it was all of these things kind of in this if if one hadn't happened, I'm not sure where the course would have gone. Yep. But one led to the no- to another and to another, and when I read about him and I started seeing Okay, so you've got the meditation combined with the physical activity and I started reading about the samurai and all this stuff and it's like there's a strength so much greater than the body because the body can only, now this is where I get a little bit out there, Mm -hmm. the body can only impact a force right in front of me. I can pick up a barbell in front of me. I can pick up uh, an axe and chop a tree down right here. But I believe the mind Has the ability to expand energies and my energy. Because I've been in some meditation classes with people where I really felt a shift Mm -hmm. and I felt connected with the people around me. So that's a strength that impacts everything, right? If I change my outset, if I change my mindset, and I'm a positive person and I put out positive energy constantly. It's very difficult to get negative back in. Um,
0: It's very difficult. And not only is it difficult, but I think it's infinite. And it's something that I I don't really talk about now because it seems like society has got a little sideways on us with some of this stuff in in Western culture. But I remember when I was about 17 years old, I underwent deep regression-based hypnosis when I was still in high school um, for two reasons. One – Again, because we were a bunch of geeks that were happened to be athletes would would read all these books about people doing regression hypnosis to remove uh, psychological barriers in performance that was you know so that was one side of it, and then the other side of it was regression hypnosis for the fact that People were using it to unlock uh basically intellect and memory. So me and a buddy of mine who was uh went on to be an electrical engineer were like, Yeah, man, let's find a doctor who does hypnosis and we'll go and we'll go under. And so I I to this day, you know, we're talking now over 20 years ago. I have a clear recollection of the entire hypnotic experiences I did. Uh, yep. most were about 90 minutes, longest was three hours where I was in deep, deep uh state hypnosis. Um, yep. Clearly recall it all. I had some very unusual experiences. Um, I sure. It's hard to describe in words what some of the stuff I went through uh, during those regressional states, but the best way I can describe it is there was periods of existence when I was under deep state where there was like the fabric of consciousness had been removed. And so okay. I was extremely aware of things that I should not have been so aware of at that moment in my life.
1: And yeah, it, felt, it felt
0: like I was no longer just a 16-year-old kid. Right. Whatever that yeah. means.
1: You know? No, I get it. So uh my meditation, my own, you know, study of myself only allowed me to go so far. And I had had some uh I'd had some experience with some mushrooms and some DMT yep. and much like, and I want to clarify this. It wasn't, I was doing these things to escape. Like I had done a lot of things in the past. Sure. I was doing them to enhance. I was doing them to explore more deeply. So I had really researched people out who understood and had a grasp on things that would enhance my experience, you know, um, certain music, certain, uh, settings, things like that. So I really tried to build myself up <clears throat> to get as much out of it as I could. And what I noticed, kind of like when you when you reach a new body weight in the gym or you reach a a new PR in the gym, it's a little bit easier to replicate it. Yep. So I was able to to reach a level of you know, exp- I'll just say mind expansion for sure. a, a very general term through the the mushroom experience and through the DMT. And immediately after the the next few days after the DMT and the mushroom experiences, I found myself going deeper. Right. So it's not, it's definitely not as deep as that because you know it's a chemical effect. Right. But I kind of found some pathways that have stayed illuminated. I'm able to to focus on them a little more easily and I'm able to get there much more quickly. So when I say I, I took seven minutes to meditate that seven minutes for me is trained it's, it's conditioned and I've built up to that seven minutes before it was really just me being able to sit still and get comfortable. Now my seven minutes I'm there, you it's know, deep, right? and it's, it's, yeah. And it doesn't take a lot of time and it sounds a little bit um, like I'm sure there are people that haven't experienced similar things. Just kind of questioning it. Listen, I was that same guy. I'm not saying go out and do mushrooms. I'm not saying go out and do DMT. But like, if you listen to what I've said throughout, I started with breathing. I started with learning to move a little better. Then it started walking. And then it started, how can I make my walk better? How can I make my recovery better? It's just been a general progression of things. Because I think if you go all in and say, I'm going to do this right now, and you're not ready for it, um, you'll reject it. And you might miss out on something significant. But mind expansion has been huge for me.
0: See, I think that's a really valuable point because I think in today's society, we hear the word mind expansion and we all, too many people, in my opinion, and I I would have to say I was even one of them in my younger years because I didn't know better, always just seemed like escapism, right? Because we felt like if we couldn't control the expanse or the expansion of our consciousness, that by default, we were no longer in control or we're trying to get away from the, the hard and true tasks of a blue-collar life, right? And, right? and it's sort of funny when we look at it now because so many people are starting to come out in a very honest conversation about the fact that they've gotten to a point of existence where they feel like they've hit roadblocks, roadblocks athletically, roadblocks uh, emotionally, psychologically, and then they... And then they have a breakthrough and people are watching it now happen in real time on social media. And you're like, huh, I wonder what changed for that individual. And you're starting to hear stories come out now that they started to not seek uh, like medication because it's not, it's they started to experiment with things that are starting to basically tear down the ego to allow like this greater sense of self to, to come forward. So it's not so much about the, The tangible 1% of what people are saying anymore. It's like, how do I become a better human being or how do I change how my years from this point to whenever ahead of me are going to impact the people around me? And there seems to be a huge part of that that's happening through a reemergence of the, like the Timothy Leary ideas of psychotropic uh, additions, mushrooms, LSD, DMT, right?
1: Well, I think that one, we're lucky enough that there is, I used to be a person that verbalized that the internet is, is all bad. It's no good. But reality is the internet is exactly what you make it because it, it's in your hands. Right. Uh, what you, what you search for is what you find. Yep. Um, the message is that you put out, draw in more like-minded people. So when I was, uh, when I was this angry you know, only motivated by five more pounds on the bar. I didn't care who I stepped on. I didn't care um, who I hurt or who I lied to or any of this stuff. Yep. What kind of people do you think I'm going to draw in
0: those, type you know? of people and you're, you're going to sure. create a tribe and, of
1: hate. Exactly. And, and that's exactly and what it was. Yep. I mean, you look at, if you looked at my inbox probably five, six years ago, um, which is coincidentally when I was near or on the rise to my highest points, you're going to see I was always involved in these little these little message groups where it was like did you hear what so-and-so said did you see that video where so-and-so missed this lift did you see this and it was like I fed off of it and I hated it but I still kept going back you know it's kind of like that that itch you want to scratch so bad um I was never really that much of a contributor but I still read that stuff and that impacted me you know it's like it's like I'm on a diet, but I'm still eating Twizzlers every day. Even if, even if you don't do it and you're putting them in your mouth just because somebody offered them to you, you're still going to gain from it. So what I started to do, uh, throughout my injury and stuff, one, people stopped adding me to groups because I wasn't the top dog anymore. (laughs) And two, um, I just started to realize that people were using me and, and using up my, my resources and I, and I don't mean financial resources. No. I just mean my, my laughter or my stories or my, my Yeah. Myself. Yep. And I, be, I became very, very protective of that uh, almost to the opposite degree where I isolated, I, yep. I became very depressed. I became very low and, and even suicidal at one point. Yep. And you know, the, the fact of the matter is I kind of had to experience that, you know, to know where I wanted to land in the middle of the spectrum, yep. and you know, of course, I, I talk about Bert being a lighthouse. It, it's more than Bert. I mean, Bert is the guy that I actually said the other day on my Instagram. He is the the uh, the current that that lights the bulbs, you right, know. Um, right. But I would have never met guys like you who have inspired me. I would have never get met guys like Rudy, who I think is just an energy source in form. Yep. Um, you know, Ingrid. All the fascinating people that I've met through Sornex have really been like, man, Brandon. I just like you. You know, like my with, achievement without, brought me there, right? Without but,
0: any of the weight that comes with it, right?
1: Yeah. Yep. And and that made me proud of myself. Made me proud of who I am as a man. Yep. And that allowed me to forgive myself. Um, Start working on, man. If if Woodsky saw me do this, what would he think? And right. it's not like I was trying to impress you. But it's an accountability it's an accountability it's like like, is- like
0: the fact that I saw you running hills on your Instagram and I actually had to stop and be like hmm I think I need to step up my game not in a egotistical way but like people are doing more shit like they're yeah. they're taking some chances I need and and that was one of the things like when I saw you running those hills, that was the same time that I had this, like, real competitive, aggressive, anxiety-ridden moment against these other strangers in a gym where I'm like, this is no longer in line with what I'm trying to do with my life. You right. don't feel frustration, anxiety, uh disenchantment. You don't feel any of those things when you're doing something you love to do. and. Yeah. When I noticed it, and, and I never talk about it on social media for the same sort of reasons, my ego still is trying to deal with how people would respond to it. Cardio, it, and like it's the fucking worst word in the world, but it's so ridiculous. Cardio makes me relax. Sure. At the end oh, of the day, get, it's that simple.
1: Yeah. When I get done with a run, you know, and, and this is something that, that for me was so needed. I drive all the time, you know, you travel all the time, a mile becomes this minuscule thing, right? Yeah. But when you're, when you're pounding pavement, you realize exactly how far a mile is. Yes. And for a man who's trying to quantify himself and figure out where I fit in the world, I need those reference points to understand that a mile is not a minute in a truck. A mile is 13, 14 minutes of my capability put forth as effort. 100%. when i am trying to define myself i know that i can cover that mile and that helps me in some way uh be okay with that like i'm totally okay
0: with it and do you think some of it too is like a real tangible uh perspective of reality too it's like because we've you know especially yourself like you have such a massive social media tribe and you're connected to so many people that, are, you know, it's almost like this exponential expansion because of, of the people you're connected to and who they're connected to. That when you can bring it back to the measure of a man being that one mile in real time and real space, it regrounds you to a more human yeah. side.
1: I absolutely do. Because, and, and, I, and I don't want to sound like I'm bashing the lifts and the, the, the legacy that I have right. in powerlifting because yeah. I don't. But that bar is a split second of movement, you know, and that is, that is high level achievement of movement, but there is something different about being able to stop and, and just look around because in powerlifting, it's all reactive. Yeah. Right. And, and when I'm running or doing these rows or hiking, I'm, I'm, it's an observation. Yeah. Um, it's a totally different kind of experience. And I think people need both. Because I, I found out with Ben we had a long discussion. I very much alienated myself from from training with with weight at all like I was doing a lot of body weight stuff, a lot of push-ups, pull-ups, um, just I didn't want to touch a weight because I felt like you know for someone who is a drug addict, as soon as I pick it up I'm gonna return right back to what I was.
0: And uh, absolutely
1: I, I know the feeling. So Ben was like, we'll just train light, we'll do some stuff. And I realized very quickly that I had gone too far. So now, because I I felt foreign to it, I yep. felt like 20 years of training and the, the dumbbells and the barbells felt foreign. Mm-hmm. That's not a good idea either. No. So for me, I need to, again, I went too far. Now I've got to find that balance. So it's always going to be this continuum of, of balance. And I think, I don't know what the the high level of achievement for me is. It's not. My high level of achievement is balance. My selfishness is now others. Right. You know, I want to, I want to have a voice that is heard, so that I can help others. That's my only selfishness now. Whereas before, I wanted others to hear my voice because that meant applause, applause that meant recognition, recognition, you know?
0: a sense of <clears throat> gratitude to yourself for what you've achieved. And it's funny when I was down and when you say Ben, just for people listening, it's Ben Pekalski, the IFBB bodybuilder. He's now retired, but he owns MI40 in Tampa. And both Brandon and I have known Ben, uh, through our careers. I met Ben, oh man, almost 10 years ago now, couple Canadians. So it sort of makes sense, but, uh, (laughs) you know, it's like when I was down at MI40, I had a similar experience as Brandon and, and what I found was is, I had really rejected anything bodybuilding, anything power-based. I was just like trying to find a new sense of who I was and what that meant. And I remember talking to Ben as well, and I just realized that i got too far away from what had made me because injuries and whatnot. It, um, I, I was sort of disgusted and frustrated with it. And yeah. and it was a bit of a mistake. And And what I found – and this is something that I think a lot of people in the iron sports should think about a little bit. I'm never going to tell someone not to compete in masters. If they're healthy and they want to compete into their 40s and 50s in powerlifting or whatever, do whatever you want. Like, you do what you want with your life. However, if you were a high-level guy uh, or girl and you got injured or something happened or this or that happened, you have to start looking at the weight room when you competed in it, the way that an NFL player looks at football. Uh, if you played for eight years in the NFL and then you had an injury that sets you back and you can't play in the NFL anymore, that guy, or he's not going out on Sundays and wrecking people in flag football. But for some reason, weightlifters try to continue to play in the NFL when their body no longer should be playing in the NFL. And, right. and and that's a thing that it's a tough transition for a lot of people, and obviously that is in a sense the the core of your transition in the last few years since your injury is going from being a Super Bowl champion to how do I keep playing in the Super Bowl if I don't have the n f l anymore
1: well, and I think that a lot of that stems from the idea of i I've overcome everything to get to this point, I can overcome this and You know, I just got to a point where I was looking at the people that are out there now, and they're so talented and they're so strong, and you know, used to that would have elicited a jealousy, yeah, big time, me too, uh, an inferiorness. But actually, I sat there and I thought to myself, you know what? If I had any hand in sharing a video or my story or coaching or anything that impacted this guy to where he could do this then I'm grateful. And when that, when I had that moment and it was actually in a meditation, um, it was just like, I, I, I was looking back at some of the guys like Ed Cohen and, uh, Captain Kirk and some of these great power lifters at some point, they had to recognize that their time had come and gone. Right. And they could either appreciate that what they were and what they, what their moments were, or they could sit there and they could hate every guy that, that got a bigger number than them or, was still successful now or strong now because that's a reality some guys never let go yep but for me it was imperative it was critical to my life that I let go of who I was and stop looking at them as competition and stop praising them for their achievement <sighs> you know it, it it just they're great people they're well they're great lifters, great I lifters. The most yeah you
0: don't know those people, people for sure but What do you think it is like, because it's a question that I've even struggled with, because I struggled with it as a track athlete, I struggled with it as a lifter. Why do you think it is so easy to feel animosity and hate towards the competition, even if they're not even in your weight class? Like it could be some guy that you'll never step on stage head-to-head with or step on the field head-to-head with, but it's so easy to just write it off as, you know, F this guy, they're not... You know, A, B, or C. As opposed well, to just being like, Man, we're all on the literally the same path. How rare is that?
1: Yeah. I think that I think that what it boils down to is we see how hard we have to work, and I was never I was never a you know, the guy that got it easy, so to say. Um, maybe to someone else that, that might be insulting because they see me and they think, no, you got it real easy. But, you know, compared to some of the guys that I aspired to be like, it seemed like I had to take two steps to their one. Yep. So a lot of my resentment and anger towards other people came because, man, he's getting it too easy. Yep. Then I told Ben this exactly. I said, man, I hated you because you were talking about all this scientific information and knowledge and all this. And I'm over here figuring it out the hard way, Right. you know, and. I, I thought you were looking for the easy way out. No, go train with Ben and tell me it's an easy way out. I used twenty kilo dumbbells and died. Yep. You know what I mean. Um, and even just, when
0: and even when he was training strong, he had the same mentality. He was just using heavier weights because he was younger. Sure, but it was still and that. I, I
1: just think I think it's rooted in the fact that most of us, from a very young age, are just given comparison. Um, in, in every front, you know, and, and this is going to sound really, really um, leftist mentality, but like, you know, we're given grades in school. So immediately you find out if you're smarter or, or dumber than the guy beside you. Right. We're given field day and you find out immediately competition is good, but at a very young age, we're taught to compete with one another rather than to be cohesive with one another. And, you know, I think. And I'm just talking big picture and I'm talking about some things that I've read. I think that's where it starts for a lot of us. And then as men or young boys, um, it's specifically translated because, well, well, you hear your father talking about my son did this. My son did this. So we are, we are constantly rewarded for our strong points or even worse for those young men who don't have fathers they're strongly searching for that praise from male figures. Yep. So everything we do is incentive-based for praise. Yep. And when we're not getting all the praise, that means we're sharing it with someone else, and that's not okay. No. But i, I that's where I think it's rooted. I mean, that's the things that I've read and looked at in myself. I think you
0: make a value point, because one of my earliest memories of realizing that I was in competition with what I thought to be friends is as I was a bit of an ambivalent kid. Um, I wasn't aware of a lot of things happening for whatever reason. Uh, I I just, I was a daydreamer, this and that. And I remember I wasn't particularly good in school and, and that's okay. I mean, it came on later when I was in the fourth grade, we used to do these, uh, like mathematic one minute tests and you, you answered as many arithmetic questions as possible in one minute. And I remember I would always just saw my classmates as my best friends. Right. I, I never, my brain just didn't work that way as a kid. And, uh, and for the most part, I was the worst mathematician in the group. Like everybody else just, it was assumed that they were going to have good grades and I was going to have shit grades on these math tests. Right. And I remember clearly There was a school function at my little elementary school, and at the time, one of two of my best friends, uh, they posted the grades for the Mad Minute math test. And I I looked at mine, and I'm like, whoa, I got 100%, right? First time ever in my life, as opposed to the typical 60s and 70s. And one of my best friends had got like an 85, and he had never gotten less than 100 And went into hysterical crying, like, and I couldn't figure out. And I can remember this clearly in my mind. I was like, "Why is that kid so devastated by not beating, or like, by me beating him in a mad minute?" Like, and I remember my parents, my mom in particular, having to explain to me. And it was so fucking harsh because I'd also going through, uh, I, I had to go through like learning disability school as a kid and all this other stuff and speech impediment shit. So I didn't really have an ego about intelligence anyway because I've right. been, been given such a rough hand. And, uh, and she had to explain to me that the reason why the kids were so upset is because they thought that I was dumb. So to be beat by me wasn't like a really difficult thing for them and my parents really struggled with it too because they saw how gifted i was in other areas and so i remember having to have that harsh lesson taught to me that my friends were sad and upset because they thought that i was intrinsically stupid as a little kid sure and that shit sticks with you and it shows up in
1: everything (laughs) I have those times too. You know, I can remember not being picked for the uh, math olympiad team. Uh I can remember these things and it just I think that it's it's something that as kids we don't really understand like that it's that big of a deal, but it's the people around us that make it a bigger deal. You yeah. know, like the teacher that pulls you aside, "Honey, you know, I'm sorry to do, to do this to you, but you're just not smart enough for this or, right. you know, and it's like, that's the reality. But as a kid, I wasn't bummed out until, Mr. you know, my teacher pulled me aside and kind of embarrassed me and told me very loudly that I wasn't going to be on the team. I wasn't going to be on the team one way or the other. Right. But it was that social embarrassment of it. And then having to go home and tell my parents that I wasn't going to be on it. Yeah. And my dad being like, look, well, you had studied harder and you'd done this. And my mom being like, well, your friends are just like, you know, it just, it, it, they weren't, nobody was ill intended. Right. Right. It's, it's just that society leads us in that direction of competition. And yes, if somebody has something that I want, well, obviously I'm either going to do everything I can to take it from them, which is a kind of a negative thought in its own way. And yeah. then the other thing is they must've done something, you know, differently, or they had it easier than I did, you right. know, because I would, I I'm good. Yeah. But they're better. You know, you have to reason it out. They're not just better because they're better. There, there has to be some reason, you know, they're lucky or whatever it is, you know?
0: Well, and for me, it definitely initiated a mindset that started at that period of my life for sure. Because now I saw that people looked at me as, uh, you know, people that maybe I trusted even as a child on an emotional level were looking at me as an insignificant. And so, I knew that I still struggled in these areas, you know, speech impediment, spelling, fucking phonics, all that stuff. You had a speech impediment? Oh, man, let me tell you.
1: I I stuttered as a kid.
0: Yeah, okay, so here's a perfect example people love because I can do it on a drop of a dime. The word aluminum, and I had yeah. to work like fuck to say that correctly right now. If I just yeah. let myself say it without consciously being aware of it, aluminum.
1: Oh, dude. Yep. I was... I was uh instead of animal i was aminal, aminal. and then yep. i would yeah, i would get really like twisted up on words and it wasn't a stutter of like struggling to get things out is i would speak so quickly yes. that words would jumble words would jumble uh,
0: and when you try to learn yeah. phonically how to spell it's a disaster oh yeah so they have to put you in a, uh, they, for they us they put dyslexic. us in a different school
1: yeah yeah they thought i was dyslexic for a long time because i would speak dyslexically Yep. But it wasn't that I understood the words. It's just that my brain kind of operated at a higher speed than my, my voice could.
0: Yep. You know, what's interesting is going back to about, oh uh, geez, 1985, 1986, when the, the small personal computers are coming out, we had a really progressive, uh, learning assistance teacher at my elementary school. And I remember them sitting down with my parents, which was like speaking another language back then in that small town. And she was like, if you, you know if you guys could get a home computer for Derek it would dramatically improve his comprehension of writing and reading because he will not be able to type faster than he speaks and right. yeah and it was really an interesting thing for that early on for her to be that keyed in because my uh cuz we wrote a lot of script back then writing you know when we still learned how to write yep. and and I was yeah. like in the second, third grade, I still have them. I was writing these in-depth short stories about this character named Sergeant X and Sergeant X was this Vietnam vet that had returned to be become a basically a, a protector of the streets. And this guy just laid waste to everybody. And I was just starting to get into comic books, but I didn't know who Punisher was yet, obviously, in the third grade. But it, yeah, so I would write these things, and then my favorite thing to do in the whole world, from like you know what, however you, whatever your age is, in the third grade, was to crank out a, a episode of Sergeant X, which is about two to three pages in language arts class, and then get up and read it to the class. But oh yeah, that was my favorite thing. Always had, and always, but if I took that fucking article and gave it to the teacher, it was a different language because what I was you know, I, whatever I was trying to write and whatever I was trying to get across was not legible because of how right. that speech impediment. Yeah. Cause I, 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 I spelled and wrote the way that I spoke, you know, and it was, yep. it was not great.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because, you know, it's funny you say that because, um, I'll have to tell you more in depth. It's too much to say on, on just this show, but Um, I really have a deep connection with the movie last of the Mohicans. Um, there was something very, very prominent in that movie. I don't know what it was, but, uh, I ended up writing story. It's funny that you wrote that and you had a speech impediment because I wrote stories about an Indian boy named uh river cub. And he was, it was just like, I would just tell little tales about what he was doing. And I pretended that I was him because we had like trees that we would play in. And, uh, it was just like, it was, it was me. It was an escapism thing for yep. me because I understood it. And if I could understand it, then I could make other people understand it. Even when people couldn't understand me. Absolutely. And you know, I, I've always had kind of some kind of that stuff in there, but it was kind of pushed away because I was athletic. So it's like, man, you're writing those crazy ass stories, but you can, you can play basketball. Let's go do that. So I pushed harder and harder towards athleticism. Because that's where the reward was, right? Yep. And as far as if, if I'm going to be graded and judged, well, over here I'm deficient. But over here I'm getting all the claps and my dad's patting me on the back and this kind of stuff. That feels good. Let's just be athletic as hell. Yep. Who cares about school? <laughs> wow. Let's skip school. Let's, let's forget these assignments. Let's let's become so deficiently athletic or efficiently deficient athletic
0: Yeah, you exactly. know, that,
1: uh, that uh, I become just this one-dimensional person. And I felt guilty as a high-level powerlifter looking for ballet. I wanted to go watch the ballet. I like that. I wanted to go see theater. I wanted to go to an art show, but that's not hardcore. That's yeah. going to be that's going to be graded by my peers.
0: One hundred percent, right?
1: You know, I can remember when I put out. Um, I watched the documentary Dancer. Yep, and amazing movie. And I put that on the wall, and I lost, like, 700 followers. You know? 700 and
0: followers. It, One of the guys I interviewed for the podcast, a good friend of mine, Sefton Clark, has danced 20 years with the, the Dutch National Ballet, right? He's an English guy. Yep. His wife danced with from, from Italy danced with him as well in the Dutch Ballet. If people yep. only knew how fucking brutal that lifestyle is.
1: Oh, not, not just the physical – but you talk about being graded from, constantly from the age of <laughs> like nine. from the time you're three or four years old, yeah. you know, and man, I, I love the day. Like I always viewed the dance as an athleticism, right. you know, I always thought it was athletic. Um, and that was something my grandmother was, I look back at my grandmother and she was so cool. And I, and I hate that I only saw her as my grandmother and I didn't get to know her better as a person, yeah. but I remember going to her house she would take me to the ballet. She would take me to art shows. She would put me in pottery classes and, and theater, and um, she was a vegetarian. So I was eating a vegetarian diet uh, very young around her, and I never knew what I was missing. No so, kidding. You know, no, I'm, I'm being dead serious. They they were the master gardeners of Lexington, Kentucky. They had this <laughs> beautiful garden, and it was like it only made sense to them. We grew all this beautiful food. Why would we not eat it? Right. So. It was a process for me. You know, we would go out in the garden and I would learn about this plant or that vegetable and we would harvest these things and we would cook it. She would show me how she cooked it and never once did I, did I say, where's the meat? Because right. she was so good at cooking and teaching and sharing that it was an all around experience. And I really credit her and I didn't realize this for a long time, um, just how much she gave to my life. And I'm real. it really saddens me that, that she was just grandma,
0: right, you know, she, right.
1: she died before I could look at her as Barbara. Yeah. And that's, that's something that I'm very proud of the fact. I, I think I've told you, I was alienated from my parents for a long time because of choices that I made. Yep. But I see my parents now as David and Debbie. Right. Um, they're not just mom and dad. They're people. I got my parents working out, dude. I really? got my parents working out. Yeah, man. <laughs> First time ever in their lives. My mom's down 90 pounds whoa, most of that, I give her credit. She started on her own and I told her if she kept going that I would work with her. Yeah. Um, but, but she had to earn it. And, uh, man, talk about coming full circle. The one thing that drove us apart was my obsessive, uh, powerlifting mentality has actually unified us. So it's like, man, life is awesome. If you do the right things and you just approach it the right way.
0: It is. And it's funny because thinking back to how this part of the conversation really took a turn is I I think what happens and it sounds like we both had a very similar trigger in some regard is the fact that when you're young and someone identifies what I now know as a false weakness, uh, stutter, uh, speech impediment, uh, some sort of learning disability, disability, and it's going to If left unchecked and it, and for me, it led to a lot of positives as well. I'm not going to deny it, but left unchecked, it will cause a hyper, a hyper exploitation of another aspect of your ability. Now for us, it was athletics, right? So we were able to channel it into an athletic endeavor. I had another friend who had a a bit of an issue, uh, as a kid, he was never going to be an athlete, but his, uh, translated into music. Um, but he became equally obsessed. I mean, everything about him is music, music, music. And he he became extremely successful in music too. But at the same time, alienation, separation, um, you, you, you'd put on this armor because you, at such a young age, you, you knew that people that you trusted or that you perhaps, uh, cared about, uh looked at you in a way that made you feel massively insignificant. Um, and so what happens is your competitive nature becomes so cutthroat that you, if you don't catch it and correct it in life, you damn near cutthroat everybody out of your life, regardless of it's athletics or not. Because the moment that they don't seem to provide a winning solution to your problem, they're not a part of the solution at all.
1: Oh, dude, that's I was a I was a consumer of people. Yep. Um, you know, I, I think you've probably seen those stickers. Uh, you know, Fisher of Men, where you I think it's a, a Christian uh, thing where they they talk about I want to be a Fisher of Men. I want to gather people and show them a better way. Well, that's that's kind of what I I have come to myself in that I want to reach people and show them that within their own life, within their own construct, there is some way to improve for balance which will enhance exactly what their their goal has always been. Instead of, okay, you're my training partner and then now you're not getting me any stronger. So see you later, dude. Right. Um, you're this girl that I'm dating and you've pushed me and made me better, but you know what? It's not really good anymore. Um, somebody else can get me a little further. See you later, chick. Yep. You know what I mean? It's yeah. Like,
0: unfortunately,
1: I, would just, I, would just, I was just—I was just this—I was—I was a disposal. Yep. Uh, I would—I would just chew people up and spit them out. And there's there's no there's no gain from that because all you feel you you think you have people around you, but you're you're more alone than anyone. And I think the only way out of that is to get right with yourself and do some of that searching that we talked about. Yeah. Um, because I told myself for years that the hurt and the lies, like there was some powerlifting total or some record or some championship that I would win where everyone that I had fucked over would look at me and say, Oh, now it all makes sense. Now it's all okay. You know, and that's not the reality of it. I look at, uh, I was watching Sean White, Um, you know, he just won the gold medal in the half pipe. Yeah. And I was watching how many people he had around him. Like he had 30 or 40 people. Now, granted, I'm sure a lot of those people are profiting pretty heavily from who he is. But the fact is, I remember seeing a story about him talking about how he, he fired a manager and hired his dad to be his manager. He he did all these things to bring the right people around. When I won my championship, I was alone. Like I was, I was very much alone. Um, and how, how beautiful it would have been to have my mom and dad and my brothers and my son, you know, all these people that I love and care about that I'd alienated. They didn't give a shit when I called and told them, you know, they didn't even know I was competing until I told them that I'd won. Right.
0: Okay. So that's a, that's a good point because I've seen it in other sports. Um, definitely seen it in the power bodybuilding world. Do you think that there is something innate to the powerlifting and the bodybuilding physique competitor world that, that leads to this mentality? Because it's like, I've been, you know, I've traveled out to the Arnold classic, especially when I used to live in Ohio. And it it always amazed me how many men and women on stage or, or, or in the weight room competing in powerlifting, not, not Olympic lifting. Olympic lifting was different, but powerlifting and physique sports where they were holding that trophy by themselves. And a lot of the women, you know, you you get to know them, you find out that they've been through like three or four relationships in the last year and a half in the physique world, you know, they keep dating guys that are shit bags or maybe they're the shit bag, but you start to wonder if it comes down to the sport isolates you by design.
1: Yeah, it does, absolutely. Um and I and I, I got to be really careful how I say this. Yep. Because I don't know why this is, but it's a it's a traceable pattern that I've noticed. Weightlifters seem to be like crossfitters in some context, a little bit more uh, higher end backgrounds, a little bit more uh, you know, education uh, from a standpoint of higher degrees, things like that. So maybe like an Olympic sport, which weightlifting is, that's bred into it a little bit because, it, it becomes a very early acquisition of talent for a sport like that yep. most people don't get into bodybuilding or or powerlifting until later it's a it's a personal choice yep and i think that the one thing that i've repeated over and over and over is you look at the powerlifters and bodybuilders most of them are not the tall guy the best looking guy the guy with 10 million dollars in the bank and a 10 inch dick you know these yep. are all guys who like they're, they're trying to build this front that I don't need anyone else. I'm the biggest, I'm the strongest, I'm the most masculine man bow before me, you know? And, and I say that from my own perspective, I had that outlook. Like, um, and and I've had conversations with other men who have since transitioned that have had that similar, that similar statement. Like I was so broken inside that I wanted to build myself up to where nobody could touch me. Right. I don't need you. I don't need you. You can't hurt me anymore because I'm this. I'm big. I'm strong. And what it really leads to is you're hurting yourself. You're absolutely absolutely hurting yourself. And now I don't say I don't say that about a guy that goes and runs a 26 mile race and and does it in in two hours and 45 minutes. He's hurting himself too, and he's probably running from something else. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, Yeah, you make a value. You look at this. You look at the highest achievers of anything. Usain Bolt probably got some stuff in there somewhere, you know what I mean like
0: yeah it's what I like it, to refer to as the miserable magnificence
1: yeah that's that's a beautiful way to put it yeah and uh, you know we're all we're all broken we're yeah. all struggling and that's one thing you know I get a lot of questions like why aren't you showing your lifts on, on Instagram? why aren't you lifting on Instagram? Well, I've done that and I've been proficient at it. You can look back and see all that stuff that you want. I'd rather show you where I'm struggling at so we can have a conversation. Right. We can have an understanding of, you know what, you're you're looking to get off the couch. Your life has kind of changed in a bad direction and you're stuck. So was I. But look what I'm doing. I took one step and it led to two. Yep. And I want people to understand because I'll, I'll, a lot of times I'll tell you a little secret about myself. If I'm talking about something on Instagram, a lot of times it's the message I need myself. Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. Yep, and um, you know, I am absolutely one hundred percent positive that there are people out there that achieve perfection, and they're they're fully functional. Yeah, but the majority don't. No. and I was one of those guys that just should have been happy with with I was good at what I did because I worked hard at it. Yeah, and man, that's okay. You know.
0: I agree 100%. And and when you look at that reality and the experiences that you've had, if we were to flip the script, what advice do you give to somebody coming into a sport that you know can be extremely isolating? And what advice would you give that guy or girl that's like, listen, if you want to do this, do it. But there is a way to do it where you're also going to benefit yourself down the road socially.
1: So I would I would first say this one. What I'm about to say is probably going to fall on deaf ears because sure, sure, most sure. people do not most people do not learn the lessons until they teach themselves. Yeah, um, I found that in business. I found that in life. I found that in the gym. Um, you will get the right advice over and over and over. Relationships, especially, people will give you the exact right advice you need. And until you come to that conclusion on your own. You're not going to take it. But old Brandon, Uncle Brandon already told you so. So here we go. Number one, I would say make your training a social event. Find people that are already training that you get along with. Go to them and seek them out. You know, eat dinners with them on the weekends. Um, Build a lifestyle around what you do. And it's not a single endeavor because I can tell you, I've trained alone for about three years now. And it's much easier when there are people there spotting, loading and helping you out. Yep. Training alone has been good for my mentality. It's been terrible uh, from from having to spot load or to load all those weights and break everything down. It gets it gets frustrating. But I think the number one thing is, if you're alienated from your family, if you're alienated from your friends, or if you think that there's something desirable about that. You're absolutely wrong because I do not believe as a species, we were constructed to be lone wolves, right? We might be a lead wolf. We might be an alpha wolf, but we were not constructed to be alone. We were just constructed to be a tribe that worked together and had skill sets that benefited those beside us. 100%. Um, And you will need people. Um, I would have benefited more from training with people that were strong in legs instead of Running from them because I was insecure. Bring right, those people right. in. Have different training partners. Have different people that you talk to. But the number one thing I can tell you, if all you talk about is training, that is all you are. Yep. Get outside and talk to people. Have friends that have different interests that don't care a thing about your sport. That when you call them and tell them i bent 600 pounds and they say, okay, that's cool. Let's do dinner on Thursday. Yep. I got a business meeting at 3 o'clock. They don't even care. Like, they will love you for your highs, your lows, your breakdowns, your successes. I think that the number one strength a human can have is the group of people he surrounds him with.
0: Man, I think that's a real powerful statement. And it's something that I was fortunate to have and then I had periods where I've gone without it because of life. And uh, and that's the one beauty of having been pulled through the track and field world for my strength education because you're yeah. par- you're part of that team, you're part of that training group. And when I look back, my fo- like listen, I love to work out. I'm going to work out regardless. But my fondest moments in the weight room, I it's not even so much about what was on the bar. It was the group of guys and girls that I've been able to train with over the years that I know I was training hard and I know I was strong as shit. But yeah, that part of it is a bit of a blur compared to the memories of the other shit that went on with that group of people. And yeah. uh, and it's funny that you say that, because I would have to say that in retrospect, the, the fastest way to get to the top, and, and I got to train with Olympians, so that is the top of the world for athletics and that world we were in, is right. none of them were successful alone. So like when they all train by themselves, they did not do as well as when they had that group.
1: Yep. Well, you know, here's something else. I want to say this, you know, you're a part of a group message that I'm in Yeah. and we, uh, we, we kind of motivate each other and just share things that we got going on. Something I've started doing with groups that I originated, um, you know, with some of my clients and things like that, instead of sending a text message, I will send them a video message. 10, 15 seconds long, just yep. say, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about you. I hope you're doing well. Training looked good this week, blah, blah, blah. It takes five more seconds than it does to send a text. Yep. But I also asked them to send one back. And I also asked them to compliment one thing about themselves. And you know what? I have, I have seen a progression with people who I knew were loners and isolators. Right. And I've started to see the way they communicate with others in the group because they would never talk in my group on Facebook. But now I'm forcing their hand a little bit, but it's helping them. And here's something else I'll tell you guys. People look at people, people look at people, <laughs> people <laughs> will see guys like you and I, um, who are on the go all the time. And they're like, man, he's here, there and everywhere. But what they don't see is those long stretches of isolation. Yes. And it is a very, very challenging thing. So I've learned this when I'm around people. I am giving and I'm receiving, I am giving and I'm receiving. So I use that alone time rather than to have those, you know, depressive isolation thoughts. I use that as my recharge. That's when I choose to read to yoga, to sauna, to meditate. And that way I'm the best version of myself around the people. When I see them that way I continue to be around more people because I'm received it for exactly who I am. I know exactly who I am. And because I'm, because I'm not strong anymore, I have to offer something else. Yep. So if I can converse about a, a dinner that I ate or a recipe that I fixed or a song that I heard or a movie that I saw, any of these things, they make you interesting. And guess what? Nobody there wants to talk about reps and sets. Nobody.
0: N- nobody does, man. And I'm telling you what, you're hitting a nail right on the head. So we have this like new generation of of self-proclaimed introverts, right? Like That seems right. to be... Everybody's problem nowadays is I'm an introvert. I just want to Friday nights as me in my pajamas fucking eating ice cream memes going out every 30 seconds, right? Or I'm alone again on Saturday night and I'm fully accepting of that. Or, fuck, I know what I bring to the table. I can eat alone. Right? We can go on all day. What I see when I see that and what I take from a lot of that is people struggling with who they are. Sure. So when I see these people that are continuously reminding the world how alone they are, what they're saying is, holy shit, I'm really alone. And and can somebody interact with me, please, for like 30 seconds? And And what you're saying is such a huge thing. So people, some people, obviously, their careers are not so socially driven in in the real world. They don't have have seminars. They don't have things like that. But they have an office space, and they have work, and they have people that they have to be with. I think it's super important um, because, you know, as someone that has a tendency to have introverted moments, we all do. But I think it's super important that you acknowledge... The time that you spend by yourself, as you say, recharge time. And then that way, that which you give to the world, your office, people around you, is literally the best version of yourself for as long as you can maintain it. Because that is what's going to make the quality of your life better. If you find that you have to spend 90% of your time in isolation to be able to tolerate 10% of the world around you, Something is going wrong in your isolation that's preparing you for that 10 percent.
1: Sure, so a 100 percent, you know a hundred percent with you. I was so isolated when I was a champion. Um, I You look at my language. I hate people. Yep. I hate going to the store. I hate this, that and the other. man, I, I'm sure people I drive people crazy at the store because I talk to everybody, right? like I, I I generally smile at every person I see. I'm excited to get out and, like, on a running trail. Yep. Holy crap. Like, how can you feel bad about seeing other people doing good stuff? You know right. what I mean? It's like, I, agree. I don't know. It, it's just a total shift. And I think I really, really, really think that the world is ready for it. And there's, there's enough of a rumbling that people are getting tired of the, the constant bombardment of social media, um, of technology. And I think people are starting to, to follow similar journeys. Yep. I just want to be a voice and a life that people can look at and say, okay, I'm not going to do it just like he did, but if he can do it, I can do it. One hundred percent. if he can, if he can be this guy that was full of hate, that hurt people, that lied to people, that, um, that looked good on the outside and, you know, presented it in such a way on on social media that everything was held together. But now he's kind of showing himself a little more real or or a lot more real because I'll tell you this about, about a liar. Um, I never lied to just lie and potentially hurt people. Right. I lied in my own mind to protect people. Yeah. And I had to continue that process. So for me to take on the, the, the stroke of honesty, I'm going to be honest at all costs because if I tell one lie, it's just like a Coke user that takes one bump. It's not going to stop there. Right? right? So for me, I am fully transparent. I am fully grounded in exactly who I am. And I don't have to look over my shoulder anymore. I don't have to worry about a text message that's on my phone that might be offensive to someone or hurtful to someone or whatever. Like, if you want to look at my phone, go through it because... I know everything in there is probably going to be quality content because the people I'm with and the people that I've surrounded myself with are quality people. You know, like it's just it's a total shift, man. And like I said, I was talking about running down in Florida. I said five years ago, I would have used the word lucky for this weekend. But I'm grateful to have those people in my life that invited me. They invited me to come down. They invited me to have a meal with them. That's not luck. That's investment. They've yep. invested in me because they see me working, you know? 100%.
0: And, and it's uh, it's something that I think or, or I hope that the people that are listening can really take away from this is the fact that by no means would we be hypocritical in our statements of being like the power sports were good to us. We had a lot of good sure. things come from the power sports. But what's really important for, from our experience and what I think is really important to those that are, that are in the fight right now or, or maybe looking at getting into that world is when you start to focus on the isolation of a goal and you start to focus on the task at hand, which is going to hopefully be a championship. If you're going to go for it and you, and you put the effort in, you go all the way. If all those things are in place, you have to remember that it's still only going to represent a section, a fraction, a tiny piece of your existence on this planet. So if you want to be as successful in life as you are about to be in sport, you got to make sure that you continue to be a human being and not just a representation of that.
1: Exactly. A hundred percent. Because just like me or just like, you know, you can understand to a degree, when it's not there or you can't access it anymore, who are you?
0: Who what are, are
1: you? you? Yeah. You know?
0: Why are you even still important, right? And that's where a lot of athletes fall down when you see the depression, the drugs, uh, potential suicide, things of this nature, is the complete loss of self when you remove one variable. So if you're exactly. only a single variable organism on this planet, your rate of survival is going to be pretty low. Right. Exactly. And that's a hard thing for people to wrap their head around. But humans can isolate themselves so strongly to a given task that they become like a single cell organism.
1: Yeah. And I can tell you this. There's a lot. There's a lot of uh, situations that are worse than a literal death. Yep. Being alone for a long time is is a very, very sad existence. Horribly. uh, Horribly. Yeah. Yep. And I used to, I used to think that there was, there was something prideful about that. Or there was something like, yeah, I'm, I'm this alpha guy. Listen, I am completely content. I know that when the time comes, I can pick up the sword, but I'm, you know, would you rather have, what was it? Would you rather have a warrior in a garden or a gardener in a war?
0: 100%. Yep.
1: And I'm very content to tend to my life garden, to the people that are my friends, my family. Um, my education, all of these things, because they they make me better and they grow something good. Yeah, they grow something good that sh- that shared that's shareable with other people.
0: Yep, I agree. And when you take your experiences that you become very open about and honest about, and you correlate them with other people through conversation or action, the collective whole becomes extremely powerful.
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: Well. As always, man, it's been a, a complete pleasure to, to twist your ear, and hopefully people have enjoyed this as much as I have. Before I let you get off the horn, what's uh, anything coming up, any places you're going to be, things that you got going on that people might be able to check out between now and when this releases in the next few weeks?
1: I'm going to be in England <clears throat> uh, coming up very, very soon. i uh, going to be in L.A. next week, or actually this week. I'm going to be in L.A. this week. Uh, for a men's workshop, this is actually just ties right in with what we're doing. Kind of this, this idea of it's not sport, but it's business Yep. men who have been very, very highly successful as businessmen who became detached. They, they have all the money in the world. They have all the success in the world. They have the literal ability to access everything, but they've lost themselves. Yep. They've lost their family. They've lost connection with reality. And we're going to have that workshop. That's going to be amazing. Familiar story. England.
0: Familiar story. Yeah.
1: Yep. I go to England uh, next week for Tattooed and Strong. Uh, I won't be lifting there. I'm just going to be there in support of some of my friends that run it. Cool. Um, I'm going to be there probably MCing. I'll probably be on a karaoke stage somewhere over there as well. <laughs> uh, I got I got a few more little trips just linked up. Nothing where I'm actually going to be uh, the star of the show. I'm going to be there either in support or learning myself. Yep. But I'll be at Summer Strong, and I definitely if you hear the way that I speak today versus where I spoke 5 years ago um Summerstrong was definitely a nucleus for that it was a genesis point man, where what, yeah i got to meet so many great people and it's just changed my life man
0: you have to agree 100% Summerstrong for those that haven't attended i highly recommend it it's definitely worth it Brandon i can't thank you enough for being on Ecobolic Radio today
1: Oh, thank you for doing it. And, um, I'm really excited for you, man. I think, uh, I think you're a voice and, and a brain and, and a man that people need to see, hear more from. And I hope that this gets out there and it just grows exponentially. Um, you're doing awesome stuff, man.
0: That means a lot. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. All right, it. Man. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Ecobolic Radio. For more information about upcoming guests and episodes, Please follow Derek Witzky on his Instagram or at
1: derekwitzky.com.